Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and thank you so much for allowing me to bring the gospel message to you today. We are in week four of, and our last uh, Sunday of our series on the Holy Spirit, and it has been our hope and our prayer that whether you've been in this room or been watching online, that you have grown in your understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes these wonderful prayers, and I'm going to begin now by using some of his language to open us in prayer. Would you please bow your heads with me? I'm asking you, God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give us all the Holy Spirit of wisdom and insight so that we might grow in the knowledge and revelation of who Jesus is. More profound revelation as we invite the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into our time right now in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, my name is Elizabeth, and I will tell you from the get-go that this is not a three-point sermon. No, it's a four-point sermon, and then maybe another four or five points. I'm a rebel at heart, so, you know, what can I say? I was born in the 1960s, that's probably why. But I will tell you that if I had come to age in the 1960s, I would have been a hippie. Now, I know I wouldn't have just been any ordinary hippie. I would have been a classic hippie. I mean a classical, classic hippie. You know what I mean? Do you understand? I mean, Jesus was a classic hippie, right? That's who I want to hang with. Well, I want to start by sharing my faith journey with the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with the Trinity, actually. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. We sang about that. See, we cannot be lopsided in our devotion to one person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal. They're one substance. They're divine equality. But for me, that was lopsided for many, many years. A.W. Tozer says, the idea of the spirit held by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. Now, I would imagine that maybe some of you have been in the same boat that I have been in, lopsided in my trinity and my devotion. So in this series, we hope that you receive profound revelation of who the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is and experience his presence and power as we elevate him to his rightful equality with Father and Son. So, I was born in the 19... 1960s. Good, good, very good. I have awesome parents who are still alive today, praise God. They took me to church. I was baptized in the Methodist denomination. And when I was seven years old, my family moved and we, uh, we went to a different denomination. We went to the church in our neighborhood, similar to what David and I do now. 
And um, it was the Evangelical Covenant Church of America, known as the ECC denomination. As a child, I was very, very aware of God. God the Father, that is. As a little girl sitting by the edge of the seashore and allowing the gentle waves to wash over my body and feeling the sun on my skin, I could feel God the Father's delight all around me. Paul writes this to the Roman church. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I had God the Father. I instinctively knew there was a God, but I did not have Jesus, and I did not have the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I could not say Jesus is Lord. I couldn't even say that word, Lord. But at age 33, all that changed for me. David and I were still attending the ECC. We had three children, and a new pastor came to our church, Reverend Linnea. And she took an interest in me, and she met me every Wednesday morning in my kitchen to study the word. She discipled me, and we drank a lot of coffee. And somewhere in that time, I accepted Jesus as Lord. Now, we have learned in this series that the Holy Spirit is the one who woos us to Jesus, invites us into a relationship with Jesus. And when we accept that, the Holy Spirit comes into us and dwells in us. Once again, Paul writes to the Ephesians, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. My life had changed. Now I had the Father, I had the Son, and of course I had the Holy Spirit because he came into me. But I really didn't know much about this Holy Spirit. A few years later, David and I left the ECC denomination and we started attending a non-denominational church, a seeker-friendly church. Um, and I got baptized again at that church as an adult. Both David and I got baptized. And we met a lot of wonderful people. We had great community. But I'll never forget this one Sunday. I'm sitting in a seat just like these seats here. The service is over. And I'm just going through my purse, and my girlfriend comes up to me, one of these special ladies in my life. She's a very beautiful, very excitable lady. And she goes, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Do you feel it? And I was like, feel what? And she said, the Holy Spirit. I don't feel him. And my response to her was, I don't know what he's supposed to feel like. And she said, his presence his presence is just not here. Well, I really just didn't know 
what she was talking about. Now, many years later, we had sent our two daughters off to college, and now our son was going off to college. And um, while in school, a couple of his classmates invited him to a Holy Spirit meeting, and he went. A few weeks later, he came home, and he was telling David and I about how exciting it was and how people were speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit came and people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and I freaked out. I mean, I really freaked out. I thought, you have to go to a Holy Spirit meeting. Why can't you just go to church? I thought, my son has joined a cult. <laughs> but I soon realized that he had something that I wanted, and it was the Holy Spirit. Shortly after that, David and I moved here to New Jersey, and uh, we were excited about that move, the new adventure, but it was a little difficult for me, and some of you have heard my story, but, and I'm not gonna talk about that today, but if you wanna hear about it, give me a call, we'll have coffee and we'll chat. But it was difficult. And I started pursuing the Holy Spirit. I wanted more of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jake came to our house, and he taught David and I about the Holy Spirit. And it was beautiful. Now, my story is very different than my son's story. Things happened fast for him. Things never happened fast for me. My time with God through my childhood and teenage years and into my 20s was slow. My time accepting Jesus was slow. I don't know when it happened. I don't have a date or a time. It just happened with my time with Reverend Linnea and it may have been in 1996, it may have been in 1997. I don't know. And the same has been true with my time with the Holy Spirit. Now, I tell you that because everybody's story is different. There's no prescribed way this happens. God has a plan for each of us. There's similarities, but it's different. And everybody's story is beautiful. And as we've been reading through Acts and learning about the Holy Spirit, we see that. In Acts 2, we see people who already know Jesus. They're waiting. Then the Holy Spirit comes. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. But it's different in Acts 8. We see somebody who's curious. They accept Jesus, they get water baptized. That's it, that's all we know about it. And then a few chapters over in Acts 10, we see a household of people, Gentiles. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they accept Jesus, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they get water baptized, and this all happens in about 15 minutes. This week, I'm preaching on living a spirit-filled life. So as we begin, I have a question for you. Is that something you want? 
I have to ask you that question because you need to answer that question. I believe if you said yes, then you will experience more of his presence and more of his power in your life. Now, if you said, no, that's okay. I'm just going to sound like Charlie Brown's, you know, teacher up here, and you can take a nap. It won't insult me. But first, we must come to the realization that it is God's will, intention, and purpose that you receive the Holy Spirit for salvation when you accept Jesus. But we don't just stay there. We must then move into the wisdom and revelation that he wants more for us. He wants us to live in his presence and in his power. This side of heaven, we get to participate in the heavenly agenda, in the here and now. But there is a human context to that. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And asking the church as a whole, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And then again in his second letter, for we are the temple of the living God. Your physical bodies are the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. We need to take care of our bodies. We were created in the image of God. We were knit together in our mother's womb. We were crafted by his very hands, and he lives in us. We need to take care of these bodies. And that's all I'm going to say on it, because I am sure you know how to do that. There have been books written about this YouTube video. I, I know that you're doing it. I just wanted to review that with you. So at salvation, we receive Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our physical bodies. However, it is important, it is important that we create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us, the fruit that Brandon talked about two weeks ago, the love and the joy and the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control. We can't do any of that on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a human context. We're invited into this with the Holy Spirit. So there are four areas of our lives that we're going to discuss that we must cultivate as a Christian to activate the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, we must be people of prayer. And I'll say it again. We must be people of prayer. We should not be afraid to pray. God wants to hear our voice, and he wants us to hear his voice. So what does that look like? Well, the best place to start is with confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Confession says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, I messed up. 
I did it again. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But confession always mean, also means going to the person that you hurt, if you can, and saying to that person, I'm sorry. I should not have said that. That's really important. Oh boy, how many times I've had to do that with my children and my husband. <laughs> Repentance. Repentance means to turn from the old way. We said we're sorry, now we've got to turn away from that. It's like an about face. And we go to the new thing that God wants to do in our life. It's a really wonderful new thing. And forgiveness. It means that we forgive others and we do it quickly. Matthew records this. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Do the math. That's 490 times. That's a lot. Additionally, our prayer life should be one of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. The very air that we breathe is the breath of God. Last week, Pastor Brian taught us a new Hebrew word, the word ruha, and he had us put our hands to our mouth and say the word ruha, and we could feel the breath of God going through our fingers. It also means the Holy Spirit, ruha, the breath of God, and the Holy Spirit. Praise him. Even this morning, I was so upset it was raining because I'm like, who's going to come to church in the rain? But look at all you wonderful people. You came in the rain. And I started to praise him for the rain because it waters the trees and the flowers and the, and the grass. Praise him for all his creation, the ocean, the lakes, the rivers, the mountains, the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds for the beautiful little animals that he gives us to love and adore and cuddle. But most importantly, for the humans, for the people he puts in our lives. Praise him for all his goodness. And supplication, which means humbly to beg God. Don't be afraid to tell God what you need. He wants to hear from you. Throughout the Psalms, we see prayers of supplication. And if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus teaching his listeners to pray prayers of supplication. Jesus says this in Matthew. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And the Psalms, this is one of my favorites. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Yes. Confess, repent, forgive quickly, praise and thank God for his goodness and tell him what you need and what you desire. Don't be afraid to ask God for big things. Are you struggling with a relationship? Talk to him. Are you struggling with finances? Talk to him. Are you struggling with addiction, depression, fear, anxiety, sexual issues? Talk to him. 
about everything. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit want you to be authentic, honest with what's going on in your life. Ask him to help you. That help comes in many different ways. It may be a book. It may be a check in the mail. It may be a friend saying something to you. It certainly comes in the scriptures that bring us much comfort. I mean, we can't just open the Bible and go, that's the answer, no. But if we meditate, God will speak. Now, as I was preparing this message on the Holy Spirit, I was reading about the Holy Spirit. I was writing about the Holy Spirit. One afternoon, I got really, really heavy. And I began to cry uncontrollably. And it was to the point where I couldn't breathe. And I started hyperventilating. And I knew I needed prayer. Now, I could have called or texted a lot of people to pray for me. But the Holy Spirit had laid on my heart to text my friend Kathleen. So I did. I feel like she didn't even get the text when she responded with uplifting scripture verses and just words of encouragement and prayers. And they just kept coming in. My phone just kept dinging. They kept coming in. They kept coming in. They kept coming in. And within 30 minutes, that heaviness just lifted off of me. See, the Holy Spirit knew the person that I was to contact. But the Holy Spirit also spoke to Kathleen and told her what I needed. We must be people of prayer. Jesus is our great example. Although he was God in the flesh, he still needed to pray to his Father. Luke records this. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And just before the Jerusalem church was about to explode, in Acts it says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. And then the Holy Spirit came with power. If we study the scriptures, we cannot deny that prayer was essential to Jesus' ministry and the building and the birthing of the church. Day to day, steadfast, consistent prayer. Prayer is essential to activate in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. Number two, obedience. Acts 5.32 says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Now, this scripture verse is in accordance to faith, so obedience is the entry point of the Holy Spirit. Obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus as Lord is our first step of faith obedience. But then there will be tests of obedience. In the book of Acts, we see repeatedly the apostles giving themselves to obedience in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit showing up. Jesus gives instructions to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. He tells them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, which is the Holy Spirit. And they wait obediently. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking to speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Likewise, Saul obeys the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He does. He gets up. He obeys. In the same story, Ananias hears the voice of the Holy Spirit. But Ananias is afraid. And there's a reason for that. But he obeys. It says this in Acts 9. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. So Ananias went and found Saul. He was obedient. Two people hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They obey. And the world is never the same again. Saul becomes the great Apostle Paul, who writes almost one-third of the New Testament scriptures. And for 2,000 years, lives have been being changed because of this act of obedience. In Acts 10, we read a similar story of two men who were obedient Peter and Cornelius, they both hear the voice of the Lord and they come together. And Cornelius' household and friends are radically transformed. We talked about that. This is that 15-minute big Holy Spirit party. As Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now, author J. Rodman Williams states that these scriptures suggest that those who seek faithfully to walk in the way of Christ are living in an atmosphere conducive to the reception of the Holy Spirit. Such a walk in obedience, not done grudgingly or seeking a reward, is an expression of a heart right before God. There may and will be failures but the essential intention and direction is that of obedience to the word of the Lord. Obedience invites the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we must remember the words of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. It says this, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Now, as I was reading that scripture and meditating on it, I thought about that, into all truth. And I thought, wow, if we're struggling with truth, we need to cultivate the Holy Spirit. Number three, yielding. After walking alongside Jesus and experiencing Jesus' ministry, but before receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
Peter claims and promises Jesus this. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. But Jesus informs Peter, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. Later, after Jesus' trial, Peter does indeed deny Christ. After having been accused of being a follower of Jesus, Peter responds, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about, the rooster crows. And Peter breaks down, weeping bitterly. But just before Pentecost, we see a very different Peter. A Peter who yields. He surrenders himself and submits himself to the gospel work. William says that yielding makes for total availability. Such yielding means no longer doing one's own will, but the will of God, not my will, but thine be done. Now, how does this yielding happen? Because our flesh hates to yield. Well, I believe the answer is in contemplation, silence, reflection. Socrates, the great philosopher, is famous for this quote. An unexamined life is not worth living. Hmm. Now, I believe the apostle Peter would agree. What happened to that Peter? that was weeping bitterly, and the Peter who preached a message and 3,000 souls were added to the church. I believe it was contemplation, reflection, yielding. What about the Apostle Paul after his conversion on the road to Damascus? Setting out to kill Christians. I believe it was a season of contemplation, reflection, yielding. Well, the book of Galatians supports that. It says, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus, then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. Three years of contemplating, reflecting, yielding. And of course, Jesus, who taught us much about contemplation and yielding. But we don't like contemplation. We don't like reflecting. Silence. Because it's where the secret sin gets exposed. See, we know our outward sin. And everyone around us knows our outward sin. But King David said this, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? If we don't yield, we never will. Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. That means we must contemplate. We must 
yield. We live in a world of noise, don't we? Technology, TV. We live in a, in a world of movement. It's very difficult to quiet our souls. But we must. And much, again, has been written on this, especially in the last decade or two. So if you're interested in any material on contemplation, please come see the pastoral staff because there are oodles of books for you to read on this subject. Number four, expectancy. We've learned in, the, in this series that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come on people to accomplish um, a certain assignment. In the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel, we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon those who were expecting the coming Messiah. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon, they were all expecting the, the um, coming Messiah. And they were all excited about it. There was expectancy there. Regarding Mary, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Regarding Elizabeth, At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Regarding Zechariah, Then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy, which we will not read. Regarding Simeon, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. How exciting that must have been for him. In the book of Acts, we see over and over and over again waiting and expecting God to move, and he does. The 21st century church needs to cultivate a growing expectancy and excitement for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us to renew our minds so we can have the mind of Christ. This is what happens at revival. There's an expectancy at revival. This very denomination was founded on the Azusa Street revival where people were hungry. They wanted more. They prayed earnestly together, expecting the Holy Spirit to show up, and he did in power. So the church must be a church of prayer, a church of obedience, a church of yielding, and a church of expectancy. And when I say church, I mean we are the church individually and as a whole. If we're going to be a church with the transforming power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we need to cultivate these areas in our life. Now, on Wednesday nights, we've been doing just that. 
We've been cultivating this space right here as a place of prayer and yielding and obeying and with great excitement. We've seen wonderful things take place here in the last few weeks, so I invite you to come out on Wednesday nights. Now, I want to shift gears here for a minute, and I did tell you I was a rebel, so you shouldn't be surprised. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is fully divine and fully human. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in fashioning Jesus' humanity along with his mother Mary, but he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. The angel speaking to Joseph says from Matthew, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was 30 years old, his earthly ministry began. And it says this, it began with a baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Right after his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And after his long temptation, temptation and victory over it, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Now he then leaves Galilee and he heads to Nazareth, which is his boyhood town. And it says this, He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Hallelujah. In this reading, Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, baptized into the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now I have one, well, another question for you. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish his earthly work, his ministry, his vocation, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to accomplish our work, our ministry, our vocation? We can do nothing with lasting value without inviting the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus said it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The very essence of Jesus' gift is found in the Holy Spirit alone. 
true life can be found only when the Holy Spirit infuses human life. Dear brothers and sisters, we cannot be lopsided in our devotion to one person of the Trinity over another. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit must be invited into our Christian journey. The Holy Spirit is the revelatory spirit. He's the one who wooed us to Jesus. He's the one who lives inside of us. He is the one who reveals the deep and unsearchable things to us. He drew us to Jesus. And we accepted that invitation. We received salvation. Yes, yes, our salvation is secure. But that is just the beginning of our journey. The victory on this side of heaven is in the cultivating and in the inviting of the Holy Spirit to continue to reveal the Father's heart in the beauty of who Jesus is. We can't see that fully without the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want more of his presence and power, we're going to live our life doing those four things. But in this moment, I invite you to come, take a step of faith, and say, yes, I want more. I want more of your presence. I want more of your power, Holy Spirit. Right here is our altar space. We don't have an altar like a table like maybe some churches do, but we call this our altar space, so it is a sacred space. So I invite you, come to the altar. Come and just open your heart. Open your heart to more, more. I want more of you, Holy Spirit. Come, yes, come. As you come, there may be somebody saying, Elizabeth, I, I don't know this Father, I don't know this Son, I don't know this Holy Spirit you're talking about. Well, I have good news for you. Today is the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day your sins get washed off of you. Today is the day you enter into the heavenlies. Yes, Lord. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. So just come. The worship team is going to play for us. And I invite you to just enjoy your time with the Lord. The leadership team will be here if you want prayer. Or maybe you just want to pray by yourself. But I am just going to join you in desiring more and more. <laughs>